0: Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Crushing Real Estate with Brian Pham, where we interview real estate professionals around the industry. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the show and leave a very positive review. We release an episode every single Sunday, so stay tuned. Enjoy. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Crushing It in Real Estate. Today we have a very special guest. His name is Matt. Matt is a San Francisco Bay real estate investor. Matt is also the CEO and founder of Megabots. Please check out his YouTube channel where some of his videos have over eight million views. Hey Matt, welcome to the show, man. Can you please introduce yourself and walk us
1: through your real estate journey? Yeah, thanks, happy to be here. Yeah, just from like a high level, I kind of got into real estate actually when I was in grad school. Mm -hmm. This was around 2009 Mm
2: -hmm. and the
1: housing market just like, totally crashed, wow. and everybody kept telling me like, houses will never be this cheap ever again in your life.
0: It's <laughs> really good advice.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was in uh, Minneapolis at the time, that's where I grew up. Okay. So, um, relative to the Bay Area, you know,
2: mm-hmm.
1: not only do you have the housing market crashing, but it's just a more affordable place to live, so. Definitely. Uh, yeah, my first purchase was like a foreclosed place, um, mm-hmm. I think I did like a $30,000 down payment, wow. maybe a little bit less. Um, and it was, uh, I think the purchase price was $123,000. Wow.
0: This is in this is Minnesota, right?
1: Yeah, Minneapolis. Okay. Wow. How'd you find this deal? Um, I didn't know what I was doing at all. I um, I think I was just like, I want to buy a house because I bet it's a good idea to like, live in one room and rent it out to other people.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, At the time, did you know that was called house hacking or you just like, oh wow, that's probably a good idea.
1: I I have never, yeah, I had never heard the term house hacking until maybe like, I don't know, two years ago or something like that, one year ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, basically it was like, I I was in a PhD program at the time, which I would like later drop out with my master's. Mm -hmm. Um, And my, idea was like, well, I'll get this house and I'll just sort of live in it and rent it to grad students that are, you know, doing the same thing as me and then like, you know, five, you know, four years down the line once I've graduated I'll be in pretty good shape and I'll have made, you know, five uh, years of payments on the house Mm -hmm. um, With other people basically paying for it. That's good. I ended up only living there for I think two or two or three years mm-hmm. um, and left with a, left with a master's um, but it was still a really good decision. I think, so I think I sold that house for 186,000.
0: Wow. You made a uh, little, little bit of money there.
1: Yeah. So it was good money. I, I, I did put about $20,000 into mm-hmm. it over those um, years. I like renovated the the basement. It was a really dirty place. Like, <laughs> it, like yeah, it was it the basement had looked like somebody finished it in like two days They're just like we got three people moved in the basement So let's finish it all in one day and like the drywall was crooked. and It was just like <laughs> Yeah, just like it was everything was just crooked and poorly installed. So I just ripped it all out down to the studs and and, mm-hmm. and Redid it all
0: so you got your first property in Minnesota and you house hacked it like what was your biggest challenge going through this house what left a good taste in your mouth and what left a bad taste in your mouth like going forward or for your next
1: deal? It took me a really long time to buy that place. Um, I, was, I had looked, I was shopping for houses for probably like almost 12 months or Definitely. something like that, okay. once a year. I was pretty terrified about just like the amounts of money involved. Mm-hmm. Um, back then, that was a lot of money to me. Yeah. It was just like a big step. So I really, really, really took my time. And um, when I finally found this house, it was a short sale when I found it. And just because the banks were so backed up, it was like, it was hard to even get an offer into the to the bank. Mm-hmm. They didn't even look at my short sale offer, which was actually like, I don't know, it was a little bit more. I think I offered like 125
2: mm-hmm.
1: plus paying closing costs. And for some reason they said no. And then we went into foreclosure, and then I ended up paying. I I don't know. I offered the same amount, and for some reason they count or they. Offer, sorry, I offered one hundred twenty three when it was foreclosed, and they countered with a lower offer. They were like, <laughs> "We're going to pay all the closing costs. We don't want you to pay any of the closing costs."
0: Dude, sounds like a really good deal, man. I wish that was a, well. I wish that was the case here in the Bay Area.
1: Yeah, yeah, it was a different time back then. So to answer your questions about like what left good taste, what left bad taste. Yeah, I mean, the, the challenge was, like, just getting over the emotional hurdle of, like, yeah. oh, this is a lot of money, and I'm, like, you know, I felt like I was taking a big risk, you know, looking back. <laughs> it's a pretty safe deal. So, yeah, I think just getting, just getting over the initial hump of, like, it's a lot of mo- money moving around. Mm-hmm. Left well, a good taste. Um, it's super fun to own a place. It's super fun to, like, make it how you, you know, want it to be without worrying about a landlord telling you what to do. It's awesome to cash rent checks and have it cover all your expenses and you get to live for free. Like definitely, financially, it was pretty rewarding.
0: You know, you started your first house in Minnesota. And now you're living in the San Francisco Bay Area. how did you make that transition? Like, what was your first property you purchase here in the San Francisco Bay Area. And walk us through like, how'd you start your company too? Like we want to hear more about how you started Megabots. That sounds pretty cool.
1: Oh boy. This is probably like a longer story than what I mean. How much time do we have? Yeah, plenty of time. <laughs> <laughs> you can edit out whatever you think is too long. Yeah. So after after I had um, graduated from grad school, I moved to Michigan for kind of my full time engineering job mm-hmm. at like a big boring company called Eaton Corporation. They do like hydraulic. Pumps and valves and like circuit breakers and superchargers and Just like a lot of like pretty boring industrial components. So I lived, you know, just outside of Detroit Um, I didn't buy anything there because I was sort of under the mentality of like I'm only gonna be here for a few years So like I don't you know most people say Like a rule of thumb is like if you're gonna live there for five or more years you should buy and if less you should rent I think that's kind of a garbage rule. There's like a lot more to it. <laughs> but hey, if it's like a, just a single family house that you're not planning on flipping, then like maybe it's a good yeah. rule. Mm-hmm. But, so yeah, so I was in Michigan for a bit, um, maybe about three years there. Um, and then I moved to Boston for uh, to start Megabots. And I was in Boston for about nine months and then we quickly relocated the company to the Bay Area um, mm-hmm. just for like, fundraising purposes mostly. Mm -hmm. So for those listening, Megabots is like a it's a pretty ridiculous company. We are a entertainment company um, that builds giant fighting robots. You can Google Megabots or go to YouTube or type in giant robots pretty much anywhere in any search box (laughs) you'll find our stuff. But yeah, the 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 big vision of the company was like it's like monster trucks except giant robots Mm -hmm. instead of monster trucks. So
0: for the listeners, please check out MegaBots. It's one of the coolest things ever. Also, I'll, I'll also include in the show notes. Please check out Matt's Instagram as well. Where he posts pictures of his MegaBots. It's like a, <laughs> I'm not sure it is the right description, but it's like a real life transformer, which is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. We raised a bunch of uh, we raised a bunch of venture capital money to like kick off this billion dollar sports league. We it's <laughs> it is not a billion dollar sports league right now, uh, but <laughs> Like that's the vision. Um, we built a couple like really crazy cool robots. Um, we had a fight with this like Japanese robot. Um, you, some of you may have remember maybe like three or four years ago, the like super viral story of USA uh, challenging Japan to a giant robot fight. That was us. Wow. The fight happened and um, since the fight, like momentum at the company has slowed down a lot, just because I think people kind of came in with like a pretty drastic expectation mismatch of like mm-hmm. they thought it would be a Transformers fight, mm-hmm. um, like watching a Transformers movie, and it's not that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so since then, it's been it's been a little bit harder to kind of like pitch the big, the big like crazy robots fighting in a stadium. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Sorry, since then. Um, we've been focusing a little bit more on like paid appearances and rides and, and merchandise and stuff like that and, and, um, growing a little bit slower. So
0: mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds like a really exciting, exciting venue. Like, I, do you ever think that the fact that you were into real estate investing, that you kind of leveraged that over to like creating your own company? Cause you now, you have, you found a, like a, a different way to secure like your financial situation with real estate, like you know, let me go out there and do something crazy and start my company. Has that crossed your mind of why you decided to do real estate?
1: The real estate never really gave me any type of security to do, to start a startup. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, in the sense of like, yeah, doing my, like, buying that first single-family home in Minneapolis and, like, renovating a little bit and then selling it when I moved. Mm -hmm. It was, like, a little bit of cash in my pocket. But also, I had, like, worked a, you know, at, like, engineering job in Detroit for, like, a few years also, which, like, Detroit's really low cost of living. Mm -hmm. Engineering pays relatively well. So I was able to just, like, save up a ton. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like, the... I don't know, kind of like the, the business mentality or anything like that from, from real estate didn't really carry over um, into, into startups. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. so no, the answer is no. <laughs> no problem, yeah,
0: it was, it's out of curiosity. But let's hop back into the real estate side of things. So you start, you know, you bought your first property in Minnesota and then you started your company in Boston and you guys relocated to the San Francisco Bay Area What was the first property property that you bought in, in, I believe, Oakland? How'd you find this property and how'd you fund it? And you know, how'd you, how'd you rent it out?
1: Yeah. So the transition, I mean, I wouldn't even call it a transition from like startups, to real estate, um, maybe yet, depending on how things go. But the story basically goes, we started the company in Boston. We moved to the Bay area pretty shortly because, uh, it's much easier to raise money, uh, in the Bay area for like big, crazy dreams. Mm-hmm. And we moved to, um, to Berkeley. So I was living in Berkeley with my co-founder in a little single family house. We rented. And after one, after being there for one year, um, my rent went up by like 20%. Jesus. And I was like, wow, this sucks. This sucks a lot. Uh, <laughs> but I really like living here. Um, and so I was just kind of like thinking to myself, like, what can I do? Like, how can I prevent myself from sort of like being gentrified out of this place? Because like, you know, here I am doing this kind of risky startup. I'm not getting paid that much. How can I prevent myself from sort of like being kicked out of the Bay Area because of just like the cost rising so fast? Because it was like so painful for me to just like start paying that much more rent. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to, I'm going to buy a place. And I had enough money saved up because, you know, I lived in, you know, whatever that first, that first house what did I, you know, profit, like, I don't know, 60K or something like that from it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I put all that money into the stock market. I was like saving, you know, all my money for about three years in Detroit. Mm -hmm. Um, I was probably making like, well, I got a really great relocation package as well. Mm -hmm. The company was like, they have a separate relocation package for homeowners versus renters. Mm -hmm. So if you're a renter, they're like, we'll just give you an extra month of rent and you should just like move for this company. <laughs> uh, but if You're a homeowner. They're like, we'll pay for your like real yourself, all your selling costs. Mm-hmm. We'll pay like an extra month of salary. We'll move all your stuff. We'll they like calculated the cost out to like take multiple trips back and forth between like Minneapolis and Detroit. Mm-hmm. They're just like, we're just going to write you a check, like the equivalent cost of going back and forth a few times. I don't know, like another $2,000 for miscellaneous costs. And if you sell your house within 60 days, we're just gonna write you a check for like 4% of like the sale price of the house. So it was like some ridiculous relocation package. Mm -hmm. Um, And so- Going from Detroit to San Francisco? No, 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 going from Minneapolis to Detroit. Oh, okay. So I kind of like, yeah, so Eaton kind of, they just, made me an offer. I really couldn't refuse. And <laughs> so, you know, when I was there, I was, you know, with all those benefits. Oh, and they were like, if you decide not to buy in Detroit, we'll just pay for half your rent for two years.
0: Oh, wow. Maybe we should, all move to Detroit. Sounds like great. <laughs> I
1: guess we'll buy a house and then, uh, and then start working for Eton and then relocate. <clears throat> That'd be great. I don't know if they offer that package anymore. It seemed like a, um, pretty ridiculous offer, but Hey, whatever. I took it, and so, you know, I was probably making like hundred K a year equivalently every year in Detroit or something. That's pretty good in Detroit. Um, yeah, it's great in Detroit. So yeah, I saved all that money. I probably had like 300 K uh, by the time I moved to the Bay area, mm-hmm. Just like jammed all that money on the stock market. The stock market was going up. Mm-hmm. So I had like 300 K moved to Berkeley and rent got jacked up and I was like, okay, how do I stop this from happening to me? I have 300K. I was like, that's enough to like buy something here. Mm -hmm. Looking at houses. I didn't really like know the whole multifamily stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I looked at single family houses and I was like, this doesn't make any sense. Cause like (laughs) I'm used to like, you know, basically like buying a house and having some roommates and they just pay for everything. Yeah. Doesn't work in the Bay area. Mm -mm. Not anywhere close. And furthermore, like, your payments on a single family house it's it's like it's more expensive to own than it is to rent for single family houses that's right absolutely so i was like this is like wait a minute like th- i like i thought i was doing this to protect myself but it looks like i'm just going to have to spend more money so i was like this seems like a terrible idea why would anyone buy a single family house here you're just going to spend more money now you're protected against you know your rent's going up i guess that's the that's the assumption everybody's making mm-hmm. but i started looking into um multifamily cuz my agent was like well i guess you could like buy a duplex or like a you know triplex or fourplex and that'll probably make the numbers work out a little bit better so i started looking into that and yeah the numbers worked out uh, a lot better so um yeah i spent like man i still like still probably spent like 9 months looking for a place
2: mhm
1: um and finally uh finally lock one down in east oakland
0: very nice what are the numbers on this one east oakland
1: yeah so i got the one in east oakland for eight hundred and fifteen thousand. and i guess the the so oakland um and san francisco and berkeley i guess are kind of weird places because they're all rent control so for anyone who doesn't know what that means um it basically means that like you can only increase the rent by a certain amount each year. It's usually about two or 3% the city basically sets it, but it's the increase in the consumer price index. Um, every year, sometime I think like Alameda has like CPI plus some amount or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyways, all California owners are going to have to get used to this now <laughs> starting next year.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, but basically the city sets how much rent you can increase. So what happens is, Market rents go up faster than the CPI, and so over time, what happens is like tenants have been there for like ten years are paying a lot less rent than what market rent is, mm-hmm. and so that means that it's um, the building doesn't produce a lot of um, income compared to like how much income it would produce if if the rents were all at market rent, so. That sounds like a bad thing to most prospective buyers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What I found out is, you know, in general, nobody wants these buildings that have tenants that have been in there for a really long time. Cause they look at the building and they go, oh my God, the rents are so low. How am I gonna, how am I gonna use that rent money to pay for the mortgage,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? Cause multifamily is, a, multifamily is like a little bit different than single family in this. It's, it's not as much of an emotional decision. It's like, you look at the numbers, like, okay, how much rent does it make and what is it worth because of that?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, you know, if the tenants are all kind of paying 10 years ago rents, like you're buying a building for like 10 years ago price, roughly. And so there's a lot, there's like a lot of upside if a tenant moves out. So the only, so the only way you can get the rents up is if the tenant you know decides to move out. You can't just like evict a tenant. You can't just be like, hey, get out. You can mm-hmm. buy them out or the exception is if you do an owner occupy eviction, you can, you can move into one of the units. That's,
0: that's some really good tips for our listeners, too. So, by buying, when Matt talks about buying them Alchemist cash for keys, which essentially you negotiate with the current tenant, you give them an X some amount of money and ask them to move out. Yeah, you can also try to move into the property yourself. Usually, this is a residen- residential property where you do an owner occupied, and you can do an eviction by moving in yourself that's usually that just falls falls back into house hacking sort of what matt mentioned earlier in the episode where he bought his first house rent all the rooms essentially it's the same thing um but for matt when you bought this house in oakland for 815k did you purchase it through a conventional loan or did you do an fha loan
1: uh, it was a conventional loan yeah i think i put 20 percent down oh
0: wow that's really good
1: so yeah and i got and i got really really lucky on it um you know, it, it was fully occupied. So there was all, you know, there's no place for me to move in unless I did an eviction. So mm-hmm. I evicted one of the tenants, um, which allowed me to move in. And then there's another tenant that had, uh, was a section eight tenant. And section eight is exempt from rent control. Um, mm-hmm. However, you can't just say like, oh, you're gonna pay this amount of rent now. There's like a petition process that you kind of go through with, um, uh, with HUD. Mm-hmm. And so you like do all this paperwork and you sort of make an argument that like, Hey, you know, section eight tenants um, are supposed to be paying market rent. Well, the government plus the tenant is supposed to be paying market rent to you. And mm-hmm. so you say like, you, you know, you go on Craigslist and you pull up comparables and you say like, Hey, I think, you know, we should increase the rent on this, um, on this particular unit mm-hmm. up to market rents. Here's what I think market rent is. And so I did that. I was able to get, um the rent up on on one of the um on one of the units up like I don't know, but now it's gonna be up like uh, nine hundred dollars more or something like oh, that that's really
2: good
1: and then another tenant just moved out mm-hmm. so when I bought the place, it was making like five thousand dollars a month in um, gross rents, and now it's probably up to like eighty five hundred or something like that Wow, that's really good and so like that's and that includes i guess that technically includes like the rent that I pay myself to live in my unit, but effectively, like if I moved out, that's that, like my unit becomes market rent. Mm -hmm. What I realized is that, um, if you like increase the rents on the building by like 50%, -hmm.
2: um,
1: the building value goes up by like 50%, like roughly not, not quite 50% because like there's some taxes that go up and stuff if you're making more income, but like roughly like, Uh, you increase the rents, the value of the building increases proportionally because people are just sort of like buying these multifamily buildings based on sort of like a cap rate, which is just Mm -hmm. like- Can you explain what a cap rate is to our listeners? Yeah, so cap rate basically is like the net operating income of the property. So net operating income is like, you take all your income, whatever the property makes every year, gross rents, you subtract out all the costs, taxes, uh, insurance, um, utilities, not debt. You ignore debt. So pretend you just bought it for cash. Maintenance. And so what's left over is like a profit every operates. Well, it's the net operating income. You divide that by the purchase price and you get some fraction, basically. Most buildings in Oakland are trading around like, if it's a really nice area, like around like Lake Merritt or something, maybe like I don't know, three and a half, four percent if it's like really nice. And then if you're into more like East Oakland, kind of a bad neighborhood, I see them as high as maybe like six, six,
2: almost, something like
0: that. I agree. I think I see six, or my minimum is always six in Oakland. Yeah.
2: East Oakland, at least.
1: Um, And, um, yeah, so – As long as that cap as long as your property kind of has the same cap rate, you can you can see that if you increase rents, you increase the increase the purchase price. So after like owning it for, you know, two years, the rents went way up. Um Mm -hmm. the value of the building went way up and I refinanced it and bought a second one. Wow. How many units do you own now? So now I have eight units, both four plexes. And um yeah, I guess my strategy has kind of been like I realized that it's not so much the cash flow. That's great in Oakland. It's the it's the fact that like when you buy these buildings um, with tenants that have been there for a long time, you're kind of just like buying lottery tickets. Or, like the building doesn't really cash flow that well, it kind of like breaks even, you know, if the tenants have been there for a while, like it's just not paying that much. You know, mm-hmm. stretch yourself a little bit. It's going to kind of break even. But if one of the tenants moves out and you get a bump to bump the rents up by like $1,000 a month, each mm-hmm. time the tenant moves out, it adds like... Two hundred thousand dollars worth of equity to the building. Well, wow. just by raising the rents, huh? Just by getting the rent up, because the next person that buys can now afford to pay that much more, because the rents are higher, and you can just use that money to service the debt on the on the new mortgage.
0: Yeah. On on average, like, how much extra money do you spend in repairs on these eight units that you acquired on top of your down payment?
2: Oh,
1: down payment.
0: Uh, on top of your down payment, so how much is
1: is your repair to like you know? Well, both both buildings I bought, I had to put a new roof on pretty um, early. So that's like 20 to 25K for mm-hmm. these buildings um, each. And then it's like, it's not too much money except for like when a tenant moves out, then I renovate the unit. So when I renovate the units, I spend anywhere from like, depending on how bad the unit is, mm-hmm. I'll spend anywhere from like, 13,000 all the way up to like my first one I did I probably dumped like 30,000 into the unit and that was a bad idea. I shouldn't have spent that much
0: just one unit.
1: Yeah, Wow, that's a lot of money Yeah, so it's like, you know, I did all the like this like I just did everything like recessed lighting and Brand, you know, brand new, like everything new in the bathroom, like tiled showers and like, you know, stainless steel appliances and like, there's like an entirely new kitchen. And I went a little crazy, like upgraded all the windows. Like I went a little crazy. And um, I think I wouldn't do that again. I kind of chalked that up to just like learning experience. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: yeah. Wow, that sounds cool. I mean, obviously you manage the properties on your own, right? No property manager.
1: Yeah, no property manager. I I believe that like when you're just starting out, you should not hire a property manager. You should really do it yourself. Buy local and do it yourself just so you can like understand what's going on.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: then um and then once you kind of like understand the work that goes into it, which to me doesn't seem like that much work, honestly, then you can sort of like know what needs to be outsourced. Um so no, I know like a lot of people are kind of like, "No, oh, I maybe mean, should I invest out of state or like the deals are better and I would, if you can, uh, if you can afford not to do that, I would recommend not doing that. Oh,
0: wow. That's some really good tips for our listeners. This is always a, an ongoing debate. Every time I talk to an investor that's just starting out, they're always like, should I invest back home or should I invest in another state? And I think you give a really good answer to that, to that question. You know, it's like, if you could afford to invest where you live, I would totally invest where you live. You want to see your property, Right. Right. Sometimes you have to make the best of your situation. You go out of state where it makes the most sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's a, it's, it's just like a different game in the Bay area. You're just kind of like gunning for just uh, sort of gunning for appreciation. And I know that's like a little bit risky, but I think um, with re- buying rent control properties that are kind of below market rents, it's a, it's pretty, it's, it's like super safe for the downside because like the rents are never going to go down. Mm-hmm. You're pretty much guaranteed to get like the 2% bump every year. So I think your downside is super, super limited. But the risk is those tenants that have been there for like 10 years, they're just going to stay there for, you know, another 10 years. (laughs) You're not going to get like, it's just like, well, that's all you get. is your 2% appreciation every year. However, if they leave, then it makes it all worth it. So, you know, just, just to like give some numbers, you know, I kind of started with, like I said, when I moved to California, probably like 300 K I probably have like one probably right around a million dollars in equity now. Mm -hmm. Um, So to go from like 300 K to a million dollars in three years, um, it's pretty good. good. It's pretty good.
0: I don't think anyone will complain about that one.
1: Yeah.
0: Awesome, man. Hey, as you know, we're getting towards the end of the show, I want to ask you, if you can redo your real estate career again, what would you have done
2: differently?
1: Oh boy. I don't know. I think everybody says start earlier, um, so I would echo that. Boy, things were like a really good deal back in like 2009. Um, <laughs> you buy when everyone's scared. You sell when everyone yeah. wants to buy. How would I do things differently? I don't know. I mean, I think all things considered, things have worked out pretty well for me. I got, I got like admittedly pretty lucky with just like tenants moving out. You know, like I did look for properties where it seemed like the tenants were kind of like. Ready to move? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when I would go to the open houses, I would kind of, I would kind of like try to talk to the tenants. And, oh, so like, do you like living here? Are you gonna be here for a while? And I just tried to like get a gauge of like how willing the tenants, you know, are they looking for like, are they looking to like buy a condo for their on their own, or like you know, or are they just like no, like our kids are six years old and like, they're just getting started in school and we're not going to move them. And like, we're going to be here for another, you know, 12 years. and mm-hmm. Okay. That's maybe not a great, uh, maybe not a great investment. So just kind of looking out for stuff like that has worked really well for me. Um, I got lucky boy. I don't, I don't know if I would change, uh, if I would really change too much.
0: Well, that's really good. Now also what you mentioned before is also really good advice too. Like, talk to, talk to your potential tenants, like, where, where are they coming from? like what's their mindset? how do you find on moving out? I think those are all really good good thing, good information to find out because it's not just all about the numbers and running the numbers. It's about understanding the complete picture. Most of the time that also takes talk to owners, talking to tenants like you want to find out the complete picture on top of your numbers to make the most informative decision. So I agree with that Matt. I like that yeah, a lot. Hey Matt so final question in the podcast.
1: What is your favorite book? Oh, uh, boy. You know, the book that I'm like, I kind of always just keep going back to is um, uh, Principles by Ray Dalio. Mm-hmm. Actually, when I read the book, I read that book probably like, I don't know, maybe two years ago or something like that. Mm-hmm. I didn't really think it was that great when I read it, to be honest. But Ray, So uh, for those of you who don't know, Ray Dalio is like this billionaire, like hedge fund guy guy. Um, he was like the CEO of Bridgewater associates and just like super successful, like investor guy, whatever. He wrote this book. That's just kind of like the guiding principles of how, um, both like how he lives his life and how to just be successful, um, at business and life, whatever. And, um, it's, it's a lot of things focused around just like how, how to make rational decisions and, uh, put in systems to kind of like get what you want out of life and out of your company and, like, that kind of stuff. And um, he's got a bunch of, like, really great companion content. There's, a there's like, an app, a principal's app uh, for your phone, and you can, like, download it. And um, he's, like, I don't know, he's got an Instagram account. You can, like, follow it. And just, like, every day, like, post one of his principles, and, like, just like how, how to how to think about life and how to react to certain situations. And um, just kind of, like, more and more, I find myself, like, going back to it and being, like, oh, yeah, like, I'm in this situation now, and, like, I just, like, I can relate back to what that book said and like how to handle it um but yeah i think like at the time of reading it i was kind of like and eh, whatever it's like so so but i just I always keep finding i keep going back to it so um it's just like one i'm thinking about a lot
2: mm-hmm.
1: awesome matt hey matt how can our listeners find out more about you follow me on instagram probably is the easiest my instagram handle is build and break yeah i think that's probably the easiest slide into my dm if you got some questions.
0: Awesome. I'll also include that in the show show notes as
1: well. Hey,
0: Matt,
2: thank you for being in the show, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, it was super fun. Thanks so much, Brian. No problem.